More investors are looking at clean energy investments, along with tangible assets, things like real estate and commodities, to strengthen their portfolios. On today's show, we'll look at ETF strategies that provide easy access to these areas, plus how the global pandemic has thrown one industry sector into the spotlight. Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SNC Alps Advisors, joins us right after this. Welcome to the program. I'm Laura Cantor with ETF Guide. If you're new to ETF Guide TV, never miss any episodes of First Look ETF or other originals like ETF Battles. Just hit the subscribe button. Also, we encourage you to post your thoughts or questions in the comments section below. The impressive returns in clean energy, along with tangible assets, things that you can see and touch, like real estate and commodities, have caught investors' attention. Joining us to talk about that and more is Paul Bayaki, CFA Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's start with real estate has been among the top performing asset classes since the onset of the global pandemic. It also pays dividend income. Now, Alps manages the active REIT ETF, ticker symbol REIT, and the Alps REIT Dividend Dogs ETF, ticker RDOG. Why has real estate performed so well, and is it still a good place to invest? Well, I think you, you touched on one of the reasons that real estate has been attractive and has had strong relative performance in the sense that it pays dividend income. It is an income-oriented segment of the market and a backdrop of, of markets where income has been hard to come by, whether it's in fixed income asset allocation segments or more broadly in the equity markets. And as a result, I think investors who are in the demographic that are retired and looking for income have gravitated toward real estate and real estate investments. But when you look more specifically at some of the economic dynamics driving real estate and REITs, they're de facto real assets exposure, as you touched on, things that you can reach out and touch. And in that regard, historically, they've done well in inflationary environments. And when you think about different segments of the real estate market or the publicly traded real estate market as it relates to REITs, when you think about declining del delinquencies, higher inflation, and rich valuations in certain segments of the market based on price to funds from operations in broad-based REIT indexes, that does, in theory, set the stage for investors looking for a more value-oriented approach within real estate to take advantage of some of those, the delta between valuations on some of the overweight segments of REITs versus the underweight segments of REITs. And, and I think the thought is similar in both RDOG and REIT in the sense that investors may want to tilt away from some of the REITs with the biggest weights and cap-weighted REIT strategies, like the tower plays, for example, that do trade more richly in terms of that ratio price to funds from operations. And when you think about our dog, which is passive, it does have a more balanced approach to the REIT market than your typical market cap weighted strategy. And then the actively managed strategy REIT is able to capitalize on the management acumen of GSI capital advisors who actually manages that strategy. And that's an institutional quality top decile manager who's in charge of that strategy. So there are different ways to play what is effectively the same theme, which is income-oriented real assets exposure in the context of what may be a value rotation within the marketplace and still the ongoing search for yield. 
So the global pandemic has thrown the biotechnology sector onto center stage. Companies everywhere searching for cures, not just to COVID-19, but to other deadly illnesses like cancer and heart disease. The Ops Medical Breakthroughs ETF, ticker SBIO, includes the biotech innovators that are making mega discoveries. Tell us more. Well, I think at its core, biotech investing is inherently risky. Even if you buy large, liquid, passive strategies, you're looking for M&A activity and trial success to drive returns or drive alpha. Now, SBIO doesn't remove any of that risk entirely, but it does target small to mid-tech, mid-cap biotech companies with drugs in phase two or phase three trials with enough cash to survive for at least 24 months at the current burn rate. So in that sense, it's trying to target a certain segment of the biotech industry and do so in a way that capture certain dynamics that perhaps make those companies better positioned on a relative basis, whether it's the amount of cash that they have available to sustain operations, whether it's the ability of those companies to get closer to that approval process by being in phase two or phase three trials. And ultimately, when you look back at 2021, there were a lot of headwinds that hit this space, specifically the SMID cap biotech sector. And it certainly underperformed large cap peers. You think about regulatory pressure on drug prices, increased oversight on biotech M&A, and at the time, a lack of permanent leadership in the FDA, which led to a lot of uncertainty in terms of the trials. Then in November, we started to see a little bit of a sea change there. We saw limited drug pricing negotiation power granted to Medicare the largest biotech deal in 2021. And then in addition to that, we saw a nomination of a permanent FDA chief, which again, removed some of that uncertainty. So if markets do remain steady, and we've had quite a choppy beginning to 2022, SMIDCAP biotech companies like the ones that make up SBIO on a relative basis do provide a nice complement in theory to your broader healthcare exposure. Many Investors have their healthcare exposure anchored to something like a broad healthcare ETF, whether it be XLE or something in that vein. And they use biotech as a complement or satellite exposure around that more stable, established healthcare allocation. And in that way, that's how advisors typically use SBIO as some optionality on growth and, to your point, innovation in some of these new drug markets and some of these new treatment markets. So moving on, the Biden administration proposed a target of achieving 80% clean electricity by 2030. That may sound aggressive to some, but the global shift to cleaner producing energy that removes harmful waste remains intact. And Alps has several ETFs targeting the fast moving energy space. Ticker symbol ACES tracks clean energy. What investing trends are you seeing in the energy market? Well, as a standalone, ACES plays on a lot of the critical opportunities you laid out. It takes a textured view of renewable energy by targeting seven themes within the space, ranging from wind and solar to fuel cells and electric vehicles to bioenergy. So it is very much a direct play on a lot of those trends and a lot of those fiscal targeted investment opportunities that, that you laid out and that the Biden administration has laid out, whether it's in the infrastructure bill or elsewhere. But the reality is, is that we often talk about something like ACEs in the context of overall portfolio construction because we highlight the importance of legacy energy in a client portfolio. We'll touch on that a bit when we discuss SDOG in terms of 
energy as a value play and a cyclical value play within the context of the broader market and this value growth rotation that we seem to be undergoing. But it's important to position for the transition as much as it is to position for some future state of energy markets, because we really have no idea how far off that future is between now and, and how we consume energy and what we'll need in terms of future consumption. And we will need a tremendous amount of natural gas, for example, to bridge that gap. And just as Kurt was talking about from Summerhaven, the need for copper as an input into a lot of electric vehicles and a lot of the components of the electric vehicle transition, to that end, we often discuss ACEs in combination with, say, a midstream or MLP strategy like AMLP and ENFR because it blends the higher growth nature of the seven themes in ACEs and the companies within it with the yield-oriented real assets exposure that pipeline and energy infrastructure companies currently provide. In terms of portfolio construction, we think it could potentially be an effective way to position for that energy transition, but also economically. Remember, pipelines moving natural gas from production sites around the United States to utilities and consumption sites are going to be critically important if we have mass adoption of electric vehicles and more and more people are plugging their cars into their garages and therefore electricity demand increases and electrification of our economy goes forward full steam. So in addition to all of that, midstream companies have unique characteristics that make them potentially attractive in an inflationary environment. So in many ways, people may think about this as black and white, legacy energy, renewable energy. But in reality, within a portfolio context, investors have to think about where we're at in terms of the here and now of our energy markets, what the transition will look like, and then, of course, what some future state will look like based on the subsidies from the government and the, the emerging technologies and innovations that will allow us to really wean ourselves off of some of the fossil fuels and legacy components. Now, one last thing before you take off. Uh, during the 1990s, dividends were de-emphasized. But after the dot-com bubble burst, investors once again turned their attention to dividend strategies. They say history sometimes repeats itself. Could we see a scenario where emphasis is placed on dividend income and in funds like the Alps Sector Dividend Dog ETF S-Dog? Certainly think that's a possibility. I mean, the reality is, is investors have been searching for income in the equity segment of their portfolio for quite some time, dating back to the financial crisis as interest rates were at all-time lows and have been in this bond bull market for more than a decade. And ultimately, when you're looking for income in the equity sleeve of your portfolio, that often means that you're going to certain sectors of the market, whether it be utilities or, as we mentioned before, REITs. And as a result, investors have bid up some of the stocks in those different segments of the market. But what SDOG does differently than your typical dividend strategy is it tilts to value stocks wholeheartedly. And it does so in a balanced way from a sector exposure perspective. So you have balanced exposure to the 11 sectors of the market, while at the same time getting exposure to the highest yielding names in each of those sectors. So you're achieving the goal of increasing your dividend exposure, while at the same time getting tilts to sectors that may be underweight in your broad equity indexes. For example, if you look at energy, which we just got done mentioning, energy is one of the smallest weights in the S&P 500, roughly 3% of the market, which is effectively the lowest weight it's ever been. If you have an equal weighted income strategy like SDOG provides, then your overweight position in energy is quite remarkable. And the same holds true for other income-producing 
cyclical segments of the market, whether that be financials, whether that be materials, whether that be industrials, segments of the market that are cyclical in nature, but also underweight in the, the broader market context. So by introducing, say, an S-Dog to your overall equity allocation, you're achieving a number of goals. You're, in theory, increasing the income from the equity sleeve of your allocation, but you're also reweighting your sector exposure away from things like technology, which dominate the market or communication services or consumer cyclicals to other sectors of the market like energy, materials, financials, and industrials, which also, when you look at, say, a baseline value index, tend to be overweight relative to the broad market or relative to a growth-oriented index. So you're also aligning yourself with a trend value and a cyclical value rotation in a market that historically has been aligned with the type of market environment that we seem to be entering where inflation is the headline story, but a value rotation relative to growth also seems to be underway. How durable that is remains to be seen, but we're, we're at the very least seeing the earmarks of that early rotation. Well, Paul, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for dropping by and we appreciate your wonderful insights. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Be sure to visit alpsfunds.com to learn more about the ETF strategies we covered. A link has been provided in the description section below. Don't forget to subscribe to ETF Guide TV. Tell us how you've been enjoying our timely programs like this one, along with ETF Battles and the many others. You can also find us on Twitter at ETF Guide. I'm Laura Cantor. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.